While you're being seated, let's pray. Father, we pray today that you would again uh, speak to us through your word. God, knowing that uh, really just the music, the worship is what prepares our hearts for you to speak. And God, the biggest, most important thing we can do is to hear from you, to respond to you, to be obedient to what you have called us to do. So God, I pray that as your spirit moves, that uh, we would be obedient, that we would give in to your calling and your desire for our lives. It's in Jesus' name I I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs, for those of you who don't know, we've started a series last week called Wisdom. Um, And it's kind of a play on words. You can be wise or you can be dumb. Um, Sometimes, for some of us, we think we make the wise decision when in reality we might have made the dumb decision. And uh, so we started this last week, and we're digging into Proverbs. Proverbs is all about developing wisdom, and so we kind of subtitled it, Wise Words to Avoid Dumb Decisions. And uh, anybody ever been in a situation where you made a dumb decision? Never, right? Right? Nobody ever wants to admit it. The minute we make a dumb decision, we're like, yeah, I meant to do that, you know? The famous last words when we were growing up was, hey, watch this, because then it was usually painful or stupid afterwards because we always did something dumb. As a matter of fact, I was uh, with uh, the, the mission team that was here from First Baptist Santo, uh, Texas this last week, uh, serving us here, and, and they worked at City Union Mission, but uh, we were talking about uh, some of the dumb things. We had a couple of teenage boys in our youth group in Springfield who were both uh, in, in the top 20% in their class, brilliant, brilliant kids to a certain extent. Um, but when they came together, two brains became like a quarter brain, and they always would do things, and I would be like, what is wrong with you two? And they would just laugh and go, uh, what? <laughs> you know, like, wh- wh- why do two brilliant boys become so stupid when you get together? And it was just one of those things. It was a dumb decision that we always, that, that, that you, they run into. And so we started this series, and I ask you, why, or if you've ever made a dumb decision, realize how dumb the decision or the choice was at the time. This week, um, I lost my cell phone on Monday. It died completely. And, and for those of you who live on your cell phone, you, you know how drastic that can be. It died on Monday, and I didn't get it back till last night at 5 30. Well, it's about five, well, closer to six. Um, but here's my dumb decision for the week. I had a meeting in Kansas. I was pretty sure I knew where it was at. I didn't print off directions because I was like, it's no big deal. I know where I'm going. Problem is I don't have a cell phone either, which means I have no maps, Google Maps. All right. And it's in Overland Park, Kansas, which I thought I knew where I was going. I ended up being late for this meeting because I was dumb and I didn't plan ahead and expect a problem, which is called construction. All right, and so as a result, it was one of those things. I I can look at all kinds of things. There are all kinds of decisions I made in my life that were dumb. They were things that I thought at the time were smart. Things like going to parties in high school to try and earn respect or earn credit or earn popularity, um, running from the cops at a party, jumping fences, getting into fights. Those are all dumb decisions, are they not? I mean, you look back and you're like, "What the heck were you thinking?" And as a teenager, I could just sit back and go, I wasn't, because I wasn't smart. You know, in the words of Forrest Gump, as we said last week, stupid is as stupid does, you know. (laughs) You don't have to look too far beyond a person. If they are constantly living in dumb decisions, they're probably not the wisest person. As a matter of fact, as I was preparing for this week, um, 
I just wanted to think about this. Everyone needs help avoiding dumb decisions. Why? Because life is full of choices. And as I was looking into this this week, there were various sources I read online that said the average human makes 35,000 choices a day. Now, some of those choices are as simple as, do I set my alarm? Do I get up when my alarm goes off? What do I want to eat? Do I butter my toast? What would I butter my toast with? You know, dumb decisions like that, you're like, okay, big deal. But 35,000 decisions you have to make on a daily basis, you know, am I going to turn in front of this car? No, I'm going to wait. You know, that's a decision. There are, there are all kinds of things. But as a result of those 35,000 decisions, there's about 70 key decisions you make every day that can be life-altering, life-changing decisions based upon how you respond. As your level of responsibility increases, so do the amount of decisions you're forced to make. You know, decisions weren't hard as a kid, usually, because my decisions were usually made by my parents. <laughs> no, you're not going to do that. No, you're not going to stay at this person's house. Yes, you can do that, only if you do it this way. I mean, those were easy decisions, and then all of a sudden you get freedom, right? And under freedom, you begin to make decisions. When I have the choices, when I get out from underneath my parents, for me, when I went off to the military, all of a sudden I'm giving all these choices I get a, to, to choose between. I can, I can hang out with these people. I can do what they're doing. Or I can not hang out with these people and hang out with a different crowd and, and do what they're doing. Or I can be my own individual. I can choose to listen to my company commander. Or I can choose to listen to those who are in authority over me. Or I can choose to reject it. And as a result of my rejection, I might get captain's mast. Or I might be put on restriction. I might not get off the ship. They might dock me pay. I mean, those are all decisions that we face on a day-in, day-out basis. If you go to college, out of high school, I could choose to study or not to study. And maybe that is determined on whether you're paying for it or your parents are paying for it. You know, I saw that all throughout college. It's like, you're not paying for school, are you? No, why? I could tell. Because if you were, you wouldn't be jacking around the way you're jacking around right now. Because it's your money you're wasting, but since it's your parents, you're like, oh, it's okay. Those are all decisions we look at that we can say, hey, wise words will speak into dumb decisions. John Maxwell says this, life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. Life is full of a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. So if you have your Bible, we're going to camp out in, in Proverbs chapter 6 and 7, but we're going to kind of be in there. But I want to read to you my, what was my grandfather's, one of my grandfather's favorite verses this is my mom's dad, and it starts in, in Proverbs chapter 3, and it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, and I think there's a key word in there, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So here's the reality. A lot of us lean on our own understanding when it comes to making decisions. Matter of fact, when I was raised, I was taught to make decisions. Hey, list the positives and negatives. If the positives outweigh the negatives, what do you do? That may or may not be the correct way because God may have something that in every worldly sense would say, this is negative, but he may say, this is what I want you to do. Matter of fact, I use that on a consistent basis with when we came here. No one in their right mind, at least in my sense, other, uh, in my idea, would leave the opportunity to own or run a truck repair business out in Wyoming that was very good. The Lord had completely blessed my dad. No one would walk away from that into a job that paid what we were getting offered 
without the Lord leading that person. And the Lord may lead you in a certain way. And I'm not saying that the Lord's always going to do that for everybody. It could be a positive. It could be a big step. It may be a, a better step. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways and acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. So that's the beginning of this. But I want to jump into this idea. The warnings against stupidity. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over one more page. We're going to start in Proverbs 5. We're going to read briefly through parts of Proverbs 5, and then we're going to camp out in Proverbs chapter 6. Now, one of the things I talked about with my wife today was this. I've never preached through this much scripture in such a short time. So you might feel like you're drinking from a fire hose or a fire hydrant because this is going to be a lot. But I think it's some things that we have to look at that the Bible's saying, here are some things that will warn you or give you warning against being stupid. Don't make dumb decisions. Here are the warnings. Here are the things you need to pay attention to. Because in Proverbs chapter 14, it says this, that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And so as we look at this, I want you to understand what Proverbs is all about. Proverbs was written by Solomon. Solomon was the king after David, his own father, the, the king who led out, the king who, if you remember, in 1 Kings chapter 3 last week, God said, I will give you anything you want. Whatever you ask for me, I'm going to give it to you. And Solomon didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for any of that. He said, give me wisdom so that I can govern rightly. So I can, matter of fact, man, if our politicians would pray for that, it might help us out. Because right now we're not exactly in the, the best situation or seating when it comes to politics. And I'm not trying to bring politics in it, but listen to me. When it comes to governing rightly, you have to govern with wisdom, not stupidity. And we're going to cover a number of things that I believe the Lord lays out very clearly in His Word about what it means to be wise. So here's the key thing. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this today. Wisdom leads us away from destructive decisions which if you remember last week's key theme, that was the end of it. But it also leads us toward the life God desires for us. Wisdom leads us away from destructive decisions and toward the life God desires for us. So if I want to have a wise decision, if I want to make good choices, then I have to seek the Lord's wisdom out in everything that I do. So here's the question. What are the decisions that lead to life? What are the decisions I need to look for or watch out for that lead to to life because it's our choices that really show us what we truly are. Am I correct? I mean, every choice I make really leads to being who I am. So the choices I make show me what I truly am far more than the abilities I have. You may have the greatest abilities in the world, but if you're a person with, that lacks integrity and honesty and character, that says more about your wisdom than anything because you're not really wise in the end. You may have the greatest ability in the world, but if you're not a wise person, you're going to squander the ability for what you think may be a quick, get quick, rich, or get rich quick, whatever, type scheme or, or whatever it is that's going to lead you down that road. You may say, whatever it takes. And so here's the decisions. What are the decisions that lead to life? Or what do I need to do to be a person of wise character, what God has called us to do? All right. The first one is this, to live a life of purity sexually. Listen to me on this. If you look at Proverbs chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 9, he nails this to the T when it talks about adultery. Live a life of purity sexually. Because here's what he says. 
Starting in verse 3, chapter 5. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave, and she gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Matter of fact, it goes on and explains a lot more about what's, what's taking place in the life of an adulterous person. And so what he's saying is this. If you want to be a wise person, you don't run into an affair with an adulterous person. You don't get involved in that. Why? Because that's what's going to lead you into stupidity. Matter of fact, follow along with me and listen to what it says. It says, now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. In other words, far from the adulteress. Don't go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan and your flesh and your body are spent. And listen to what he says. You will say how I hated discipline. Listen, in today's culture, in today's world, there's an idea that, that creeps in that, that it's okay. It's okay to have an affair. Look, you got to follow your feelings. got to follow your emotions. you got to follow what the world's saying, right? Matter of fact, I think I brought up something about it not too long ago about this couple that I saw on Facebook. They posted this video. It, it went viral, and I, had, I told my wife, I, I showed her this video. This couple's like, they're swingers, they said, all right? And they swing for the name of Jesus is what they said. I'm not joking. They were like, we swing so that we can reach people who are swingers for Christ. And I was like, yeah, that don't happen, bro. That is not, no, not, uh, no, yep, no, no. Sorry. See, what that is is the wisdom of the world creeping into a mindset that it's okay to do whatever I want as long as I do it, quote, unquote, for the name of Jesus. When the reality is purity is what Jesus always strives for. He wants holiness. Why? Because you're set apart. You're different. And so when I strive to live a life of purity sexually, there has to be something that takes place. Why? Because the adulteress, all right, and I'm, I'm going to even throw this out there because a lot of times people are like, well, it's not just women. No, I completely agree. An adulterous person is deceptive and seductive. Their words may be sweet and persuasive, but they will become bitter and they will make you sick. I have never once dealt with somebody who has had an affair with somebody else and heard them say, you know what, it was the greatest thing ever because eventually they come back and they go, holy smokes, I didn't know what it would do to me. This is stuff that oftentimes creeps in that the world says, hey, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. But what the Lord's saying, what, what, what Solomon is trying to warn his son or the people that, that are under him is to say, look, you've got to keep yourself as far away from that as possible. Listen, the responsibility is not upon the other person, and I hope you hear that out. There is no excuse whatsoever for you to say, well, you know, they just, they egged me on. They, they goaded me into it. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't walk away from her body. I mean, she's so much greater, all these things. Look, that's not their fault. There are going to be people, there are going to be women and men who are going to be out there who are going to be seductive. They're going to try and draw you into a situation and circumstance that you shouldn't be in. Guess whose responsibility it is to make the wise choice and the wise decision? Is it them? No, I'm responsible for my own self. I am responsible for my own actions. So I choose to live a life of purity sexually. And listen to me. I'm going to throw this out there. And this is a men and women thing. As a matter of fact, I've, I've seen a lot of this recently. This, is a men, this includes pornography. 
the easiest thing that anybody has access to. Because of technology, we're talking about phones and everything else. This includes that. Because you are having an affair on either A, a potential husband or wife in the future, or B, your current future husband, or, or your, sorry, your current husband or wife. Living pure sexually is a huge thing that Solomon talks about. And listen to me, if anybody would know, it would be Solomon, wouldn't he? Anybody know how many concubines he had? The guy's a stinking nutcase. 800. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think you got problems trying to keep up with your wife. That's all I can say. You, you want 800 women speaking into you? <laughs> uh-uh. No offense. I love my wife dearly. But could you imagine 800 women giving you their opinions? Sorry, ladies. This is not an attack on you. There is no, what did you say? <laughs> there is no way, no way you will ever make 800 women happy at once. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to attack you personally. What I'm saying is, if you strive for that, you set into that situation. And look, we watch, we watch funny TV shows. We've watched funny movies. And you've got these affair things that go on. And the guys get caught. Or there's something that happens. Listen to me. That's Hollywood. That's not real life. I've seen it personally in my family, whether cousins or nieces and, or nephews who have ended up getting a divorce because of an affair and things like that. And all it does is destroy everything that God wants to accomplish in your family. So I live a life of purity sexually. If I want to be a wise person, I don't want to settle for the dumb decisions. I live a life of purity Sexually, in everything you do, you're choosing a direction. Your life is made up of your choices. You know, we always say uh, you can't, can't have your cake and eat it too type thing, you know. Some people, all these decisions, but that's the reality. When you choose to go down that road, you're going to reap the consequences. And here's one of the things I want you to understand, because a lot of times Christians are like, well, I confess my sin. That does not remove you from the consequences of what you do. Nowhere in the Bible did God say, hey, I will forgive you and then there'll be no consequences. Could you imagine that? I mean, if that was the case, then I'd just go out and murder somebody I didn't like because I'm just going to go to God. God's going to forgive me and then there's going to be no consequences. That's not the way it works. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever talk about that. There are consequences for every choice and decision I make. A consequence that could be a positive consequence to a certain extent or a negative consequence. There is a reaction to the decisions I make. I can make a decision to be obedient to what God's called me to do or to give in to the, cater, to, the, to the whims of man, to cater to the whims of man. So I have to make the choice to live a life of purity sexually. Number two is this, all right? And I think this is a, a big thing. So we're going to camp out. The rest of the time is going to be in, in Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 real quick, and then we're going to go on. My son, if you have put security up, for your neighbor, if you struck hands and pledged for another, if you have tra been trapped by what you said and snared by your words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go and humble yourself, press your plea with your neighbor, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids, and free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Now everybody's going, so what? 
But I want you to understand this. There is something to be said here in being generous, but not co-signing for anything that goes on. This is, this is played out here. Anybody ever co-sign on a loan? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody ever co-sign on a loan and then get burned in the end? Maybe, maybe not. But I can tell you this, point blank, from, from something I learned from my dad a long time ago. I remember asking him, I was in the Navy, I had saved up a bunch of money for a car, but I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to buy a car and I, I need somebody to co-sign. And my dad said, no. And I'm like, what's up with that? And he's like, I'm not co-signing for you. And I'm like, I'm your son. And he goes, exactly. And you're going to learn to make your own financial decisions and make them right. And I was like, Dad, it's only like $4,000. And he goes, good. I guess you better save $4,000 get the car. And I'm like, well, I already got six. And he goes, well, good. I guess you better work harder and save the other four. I'm not co-signing on you. And I was like, I don't understand that. And he goes, let me point out something very clearly. And he, he took me right to Proverbs. And he's like, I'm not co-signing for you. Because that becomes a problem in the family later if you back out, if you don't make the payment. So listen to me. Here's the rule that I've always kept in mind. And there's, there are so many more scriptures that we can back this up with. When I give to somebody, if they ask me for a loan, do you know how I approach it in my heart? I've given them the money. I have to approach it in my heart that I've given them the money and they're not going to pay me back. Now, here's the deal. They pay me back. It's a bonus on them. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you from my heart, I will respect that person more. They don't pay me back. It was a loan. I'm not going to harbor it against them. Or, sorry, it was a gift, not a loan. I'm not going to harbor it against them, but I'm not going to give them money anymore. Do you understand what's taking place there? It guards my heart. Why? Because I don't want to make a dumb decision that strikes a pledge. Listen, here's one of the things when we understand the history of what goes on here is huge. In today's world, when we loan people money, usually it's paid back with what? Interest, right? In their world here, if you lent money or loaned money to another Jewish person, a person in the nation of Israel, you were to loan them money with no interest as a gift. If they paid you back, it was a benefit. If they didn't pay you back, then you looked at it as just a gift to bless that people, to those to bless those people. So look, be generous with your money. Don't be a Scrooge because, or don't be a stooge. Don't be a Scrooge. You don't want any of that because that in the same way is the same thing because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If the treasure is in the money, then you're missing the big picture. But I got to be generous, but do not co-sign. Do not put down. Don't make a pledge. As a matter of fact, there's a point in the Bible where it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, there's a lot of things that people played out. So does that mean I don't sign and get a loan for my house? No, there are certain things you're just going to have to walk through because that's the way the world's set up today. But what I'm telling you is, for your protection and for your wisdom, for the sanity of your family, for the sake of unity and what goes on, do not co-sign, do not strike a pledge, do not make a, a bargain with somebody to do something and then get mad at them because they didn't pay. Matter of fact, it says if you've done that, go to them quickly and try and get out of it. Why? Because that's the wise decision. Listen, my, my Bible says this, warnings against folly right at the start. You want a warning against stupidity, don't loan somebody money 
that's not going to possibly pay it back. Consider it a gift because otherwise it's going to create problems. Number three is this, all right? If I want to be wise, wisdom leads us away from destructive decisions and toward the life God desires for us. Number three, work hard even when no one's looking. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. And I struggle. I struggle with this a lot of times when I have to deal with other Christians who I know don't work hard. It drives me nuts. And I said this a couple weeks ago, but I think the Christian should be the hardest worker. The hardest worker. You should work hard. You should be obedient. I think you should be a person who goes above and beyond the call. I think you should do whatever is necessary to help out your business, your boss, apart from anything illegal. You should be the best worker. You should lead the way. You should be an example. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Listen to me. One of the greatest rewards I believe as a Christian is to work hard because the Bible is very clear. Whatever my hands and feet find to do, I do it all for the glory of God. When you work, wherever you're working, everything should be done. Not in going, man, how can I benefit my boss, even though I just talked about that. Is how can I work the hardest so that people see Christ in me? How do I be a perfect example of what it means to work hard in a world that says, hey, it's okay. You know, we always joke around. We, we always joked around it in, in, in Wyoming. Um, but I've also heard it said about labor work. Don't take this wrong if you grew up in labor, all right, or you worked in labor. But one of the things we used to always joke around, like Wyoming Department of Transportation, was how many guys it took to do something. Because there was like one guy working and four guys standing around. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you know, we always use the joke, how many, how many people does it take to turn in or screw in a light bulb? You know, one person to screw it in, another three tell them how to do it. You know, it, it's just one of those things. I don't care where you work. You should be the hardest worker. And I'm not saying you, that you break your back. What I'm saying is you work hard and you work smart. But I think you should always lead by example. Why? Because if you don't work hard, listen to what he says again, a little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. There are lots of things at times that I have disagreed with people who were over me. Lots of times where I could have given my opinion. You know, everybody likes opinions, right? I could have given my opinion. I could have told them where to go type thing, you know, mentality. No. You just work hard. You got to do what you got to do so that you can be a wise person and show people Christ in you, not what you want to see come about. See, a person can become financially destitute by laziness as well as foolish choices. If you want to be lazy, that's going to be the problem. So don't squander time, but rather make the most of your time in everything you do. Everything. And here's what I've learned over time. There are certain people who seem to be the hard, and, and I'm, there are certain people who, whatever they do, it just seems to grow. Does that make sense? 
It seems to flourish. It seems to bring benefit. Maybe they're a person that wherever they go, it, it, there's a benefit that they bring to that company or that, that job. There's a situation where you feel like you gain the respect and the honor from your employers as well as other employees you work with. And I think that's always a result of your hard work ethic. Listen to what happens. Did you know, like, I always thought the queen told everybody what to do, right? The queen ant? Do you know the queen doesn't do anything like that? The queen gives no directions. You know what the queen's job is? To make babies. <laughs> That's it. The queen is one that, as I was reading on this on biology and stuff, the queen is one who usually has been fed more when she was a larvae. All right? She was fed more. She grew faster. As a result of growing faster, she becomes more mature. And the queen is the one who basically lays all the eggs. The ants have nobody telling them what to do. That's why I said work hard when no one is looking. See, I know lots of people who work hard when there's other people looking. And I've seen a lot of people who are deadbeats, losers, when nobody's looking. It's like, oh, nobody's watching me. I can, I can take it easy. I don't need to work. What are they going to see? Eight-hour work day, I only work four. Who cares? I think that goes to dishonest gain. And the Lord never blesses dishonest gain. Matter of fact, as you read through Proverbs, and I hope you're reading through it as we go through this, because you read through Proverbs, it talks about how the Lord uh, does not like uh, faulty scales, all right? He doesn't like dishonest gain. He likes people who work hard, all right? But they're not going to do that. Work hard even when no one's looking, and that's the beauty about ants, all right? I also found this out, that ants, when they are working, did you know that they choose to do what they want to do? But it always benefits the colony. It always be benefits the family. So there are ants who choose to work inside and they work and basically feed all the, the, the pupa, the larva, the, so that they can grow the colony. And then there are ants who go outside and get the food and bring it in so the, the inside workers can feed the pupa. And those ants are also the defenders. And nobody has to tell the ant, you need to defend the family. Why? Because when something happens because of the pressure from outside, the outside environment, the ants automatically do what they know they're supposed to do. So that's why he lays this out. When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. So listen, work hard when no one is looking. Number four is this, be honest in every decision. Listen to what happens in verse 12. A scoundrel and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers. Anybody remember this? I promise. That was like elementary school. I promise. You promised. I did and I had my fingers crossed. And I know that's stupid. We're like laughing about it. But do you hear what he just said? A scoundrel and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks his eyes. Everybody been in that? When Sarah and I met, <laughs> we were playing, what were we playing? Uno, right? Yeah. So just met her. We're playing Uno. There was this girl that was really getting annoying. So everybody's like stacking the deck. And so I looked at Sarah and I'm like passing a card. I'm not joking. Underneath the table and I winked at her like that. And she dropped that card on that girl and she had to draw. I think it was either a switch hands or draw whatever. And but it's winking. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, he's, he's laying this out. Who winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers. In other words, a person who is looking for falsehood. A person who's 
going against what in reality they may have said. So I should be honest in every decision I make. Why? Because those plot evil with deceit in their heart and he always stirs up dissension. That's the type of person. Listen, who wants to do business with a person who's always like that? I wouldn't. I mean, would you hire that guy to get your house for you? Would you want that guy cooking food? I mean, who knows what he's cooking? Yeah. Yeah, it's good for you. Got my fingers crossed behind my back. It's terrible. I mean, nobody's going to do that, right? Would you want that guy handling your money? No. I should be honest in every decision I make. I don't strike pledges with other people. I don't wink. I'm not trying to create deceit amongst other people. These are huge things that we have to end up doing. See, dishonesty will, be, will breed destruction and someone who is worthless and wicked. I don't know of a single person, Christian or non-Christian, who would say, you know what, I like doing business with dishonest people. I mean, that's why you got Angie's List and Home Advisor and all these things now. Why? Nobody likes a cheat. Nobody likes a dishonest person. So if I want to make a wise decision, I want to be a person who is always honest. And number five is this. In order to understand that wisdom leads us away from destructive decisions and toward the life God desires, I have to understand this. Listen to what happens in verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Listen, in order to understand what's going on, in order to be a wise person, I have to live in obedience to the Lord. And the Lord's very clear on these things. And and I love what Solomon says. There are six things the Lord what? What? Hates. It disgusts him. It's gross. It's detestable to him. It says, number one is this, haughty eyes. Anybody know what haughty eyes is? Pride. Pride. Pride breaks up marriages. It breaks up friendships. It keeps people from getting right with the Lord. It causes us to not admit when we've done wrong and can lead us to believe that we are okay spiritually when we aren't. That's pride. And the Lord says, I don't like it. I can't stand haughty eyes. Number two is a lying tongue. Truthful words are the most important thing. That's one of my biggest things with my kids right now. If you make a mistake and you admit your mistake, we're golden. It's when you lie. Once you go down the road of lying, I don't know what to trust. And it's the same thing with the Lord. Anytime the Lord is looking at you and you're a person who constantly spews out lies to try and to defend yourself, to try and... Look, I, this week, I was frustrated. I had to deal with a number of guys. Well, one guy in particular at work, and I'm driving down, I got this really wide load on my forklift, and I'm driving down the dock, and I'm driving down the dock, another guy spins around, hits my thing, load flies off, and I'm like, come on! What in the world's your problem? I mean, I just blew a gasket. (laughs) And he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, "Mm," I was so mad, and it wasn't even him. It was everything I had to deal with before. Why? Because I was ticked off because of this lying tongue, and I could have went off even worse. And I said some words that were true, but I shouldn't have said them. I was like, you're always driving like this. I went on the attack. Listen, a lying tongue, 
And I say this very cautiously, all right? You have to speak words of truth. Sometimes you've got to bite your tongue even when words of truth need to be said. And Proverbs will lay that out very clearly. There are times where you just got to bite your tongue. Let it go. It's not that big a deal. But God says, I don't like a lying tongue. Why do I not like a lying tongue? Because it's completely against everything the Lord has laid out. Number, uh, number three on this, live in obedience to the Lord. Number three is this, he hates the shedding of innocent blood. And I'm going to be just very clear on this. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should know that. Hands that shed innocent blood, the Lord hates this. And I believe this is one of the key things you have to begin to understand. Hands that shed innocent blood, number one is murder. And everybody go, yeah, yeah, that's right. But number two, I want you to think about this. Hands that shed innocent blood. And I'm just going to take it from your political standpoint all you want. The fact that abortion continues to go on is the most disgusting, raunchy thing I can ever think about. Matter of fact, I saw a girl not too long ago post a thing, and she's like, we got to stand up and protect our babies. These kids are, 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 are being murdered by these guns. Listen to me, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here. While that may be true, she said, I can't believe that we would violate these kids' rights for the protection of their guns. But listen to me. The fact that you're telling me that your sexual life, your sexual escapades lead you to the freedom to make the decision to kill another life, that is just as disgusting. The Lord detests the shedding of innocent blood, period. Whether murder or abortion, which is murder, the Lord detests it. Number four. A heart that devises wicked schemes. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. This is Matthew chapter 15. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile. And listen, here's what happens. A heart that devises wicked schemes is just simply showing the nature of the heart. Are you a person who plans evil plots? Tries to work up evil situations and circumstances? No. If you're not, then okay, but live in obedience to the Lord. Number four, feet that move quickly into sin. Listen to me. This is the idea of this. Enthusiasm to run into the trouble of sin. It's like, I get to do that. This is awesome. I mean, have you ever run quickly into something? Like for me, my my biggest struggle, when when, when I have somebody contact me and they're like, hey, you want to play softball? You want to play baseball? Do you know how hard it is to say no? I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, I, that is my, I love it. I could eat, matter of fact, you, you guys have heard enough stories. I could eat, breathe, talk, sleep, baseball all the time. It's just me. It's, it's the way my life works. All right? But if I was to run into evil, wicked schemes as a result of this, or feet that move quickly into sin, if, if baseball became the sin that misled me, that walk me down a path that I shouldn't go down, then I should run quickly away from it, all right? Don't run quick into sin. Don't, don't give into what's going on. It's, it's this idea of joy in wrongdoing. Matter of fact, I'll go back even to high school. There were times where I knew it was wrong to get into fights, but I didn't care because I felt like the dude just deserved to get his butt handed to him, all right? That was joy in wrongdoing. That was a complete thing against what the Lord had called me to do. Why? Because I was running quickly into, into evil. 
Number six, a false witness. In other words, someone who tries to subvert justice. Someone who gossips, lies, exaggerates facts, spreads truth. Gossip's not something we deal with much, is it? I mean, heck, just go and watch social media for a little bit. You got everything under the sun. From politics to movies to this to that, about this person and blah, 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 blah. It's like, good grief. You don't know what truth is and what's false. That's why we got the quote-unquote fake news and the fake news over here and the fake news over here. And everybody's like, what's true news? A gossip, a person who's quick to lie, a person who bears false witness. Those are things that the Lord hates. And the last one, a man who stirs up dissension. And I'm going to leave it at this. And I believe it's something that we have to understand. A man who stirs up dissension among brothers. And I'm thankful. I want to say this wholeheartedly, and I hope you understand this. This is a person who causes fights and quarrels. And listen, he's laying it out among brothers. I've told you over and over and over again, I've been in some conflicted churches. And I've seen people do some brash arrogant, rude, sinful things in the name of power and control. And I believe that this is one of those sentences right there that's named at those types of people. If you are a person who tries to stir up dissension and conflict among other believers, then you have a massive problem. And I think it goes right back up to the pride issue. Listen, I'm all for calling out somebody who's in wrong, sinful. They're, they're stepping away from the truth of Scripture. They're not preaching God's Word. Hear me out. I believe that that's one of the wholehearted things you have to stand on. You stand on the truth of God's Word. But if you stir up dissension among another brothers, other brothers because of preferences, because of your thought process of this is the way it is, then I believe you're in trouble. You're not making a wise decision. You're making a dumb decision. And that dumb decision, remember what we said? We are a result of the choices. The consequences we reap are a result of the choices we make. When you reap those kinds of choices, you will also reap the consequences of those choices. And I stand back and I say this very cautiously. I don't want to be, and I'm thankful that I'm not that person who has stirred up dissension and conflict without any sort of remorse or regret, with no confession of sin, and then passed away and have to face the Lord. Because I don't want to be the one who has to stand before Jesus and be like, well, you know what? Yep, I pretty much did that in this church, in this church, in this church. That's not of God. It's not Christ-like at all. So, what do we do? What's the answer? What's the question? I think the biggest thing is this. We talk about having life and life more abundantly. Wisdom leads us away from destructive decisions and towards the life God wants. But I want you to think about this because when, when we sang these songs earlier, we sang them very clearly. And we sang the fact that Jesus is the, the way that gives us wisdom. Jesus is the one that gives us the answer. Jesus is the one that gives us the hope. Jesus is the one that is the wisdom. As a matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians, I referenced it last week, and I'm just going to very simply reference it this week as we jump in to do the Lord's Supper. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this very simply, very clearly, that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross is the very wisdom of God, but is foolishness to those who are perishing. Listen to what he says in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Here's the big kicker for wisdom. You want to live a wise life? Your life has to be in control of Christ first. That's the reality. You want to experience life and life more abundantly as the Bible talks about it? Then it has to be controlled by Christ. If it's not controlled by Christ, you can make wise decisions in worldly ways, but you're not going to be a wise person in God's eyes. Because God sees basically two people, those who are in Christ and those who are apart from Christ. Now listen, he's very clear. He's being patient. He's being slow. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to life in Christ. But that's the answer. Foolishness is to say, nope, not going to do it. Wisdom is to say, I'm going to choose to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is just simply a remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross the shedding of his blood on the cross. And so as the worship team comes to play, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here in a little bit. And what we're going to do is this. If you are a believer, you put your faith and trust in Christ, you followed Christ in obedience by baptism and, and, and done that, then if you are, are, are in that crowd, then we want to invite you to come and take the Lord's Supper. All right? You're going to come up. There's a cup. There's two, actually, you're going to grab. There's a cup with the uh, cracker below it and the juice in it. You can grab it. Take it back to your seat. Um, after we get everybody through here, we'll just simply do the Lord's Supper together, and then we're going to close in a song. But it's very simple, very clear, that if you are a believer in Christ and you have followed him in baptism, we invite you to partake in this, all right? If you haven't, then what I'm asking you to do is just patiently wait. There's nothing magical about here. This is done to remember Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all right? Nothing magical about it. Nothing supernatural about it. It's a remembrance of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all right? And so we're going to do this very simply, um, and then I'm going to read Scripture. So I'm going to pray, and then as you feel led, as the band starts to play this first part of the song, uh, we're going to ask you to stand. You can come up here and, and take it and head back to your seat, and then we'll take it together. So let's pray, and we'll continue. Father, we thank you for the fact that we know that your wisdom is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the very fact that the world calls it foolishness, the very fact that People want to say, hey, there's, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be another way. But we know that you made the way through the sending of your son, Jesus Christ. And that his death on the cross offers us life and life more abundantly. And his resurrection from the dead is the very thing that wins us that eternal life. That we don't have to face death, but we can walk in obedience to you. And we can know that we were bought we were purchased, we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus and that we can have life in Christ. So God, today I pray that as we take the Lord's Supper, we would remember that simple sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice that, that could ever be given for all of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as the, as the band plays, as they begin to lead us out, we want to invite you forward as you feel led to go ahead and come and grab it. You do not have to be a member of our church we just ask that you have committed your life to Christ and you've been uh, baptized in obedience to him.
Warren, Warren, Warren. Warren. Can you give that to Warren when you go back there? Will you give oh. it to him? Thank you. Well, again, just where you're at, as we're going to close with this, is this very simple truth of Scripture that on, uh, first, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my blood, or sorry, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that night, if you were to read the text, you would know that this was a long process. It wasn't something that we even do here. This is just a simple symbolic uh, measure that we take part in. But in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant. And the new covenant is this, that you don't have to pay the price anymore because Jesus' blood paid the price for you. And this new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And it says, not in 1 Corinthians, but in uh, Luke and Matthew, it says that after they did that, they sang a song and then they went out. So here's what we're going to do, just very simply. We're going to invite you to stand where you're at. We're going to sing this song and we'll be dismissed as soon as this song is over. Thank you. Thank you.